Vicky Saldala and Melissa Cabrera, welcome back. It's good to have both of you on again on this fourth installment from Broward County in Florida on the In This Together docuseries. Thanks for coming back. Hi, Steve. It's so great to see you again. Hey, Melissa. Hello. Thank you for having me again. This is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, and I should say we're recording this uh, on Thursday, November 5th, and I think this will probably be out on the following Monday. So I just want people to recognize that it's a really crazy day in our in our country. There's a lot going on. So before we started to record, I just I just said thank you both for even coming uh, and being a part of this. That's everything after this is a bonus, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's a distraction from everything else that seems to be going on in the world right now. So as I said, it's been a crazy week uh, that we're processing a lot that's going on with the election, as well as um, an uptick in COVID, which has kind of been buried in the other news, but it's still happening. Um, and you're doing this all while trying to maintain momentum um, with teaching and learning. So Vicki, I'll start with you for kind of the, 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 the high altitude view of things. How are things going um, on the ground right now? Well, and you forgot to add that Florida is in the path of a possible tropical storm, I think. I just saw that this morning. I can't believe I didn't mention that. Another one. It's November. Why not? 2020. <laughs> well, listen, storms go until, uh, hurricane season is until November 30th, which is my birthday, by the way. So it's always great. But yeah, I saw that in the news. I'm like, wait, this storm is like way down here in Latin America, and it's just going to shoot straight up to Florida. It just is so bizarre. But um Let's just hope it doesn't. But it has been raining for a couple of days here already, regardless of the storm. So we're already saturated um, in water as it is. But besides all of that, it is going. Um, we are doing well. Um, we have about 20% of our students back in our schools. Um, you know, every day is a new day. A, a student gets ill, a teacher gets ill, a family member but I will say that Broward County is doing an amazing job of staying afloat. Um, we are definitely bonding as a district and coming together as a district to support our teachers, our students. Um, when teachers are out and the school doesn't have anyone to fill the spot, those of us at the district level, whether it's our resource teachers or us as administrators, are going out to the schools and supporting. Um, in some cases, we are actually teaching classes I have two of my own resource teachers this week teaching a kindergarten classroom for a teacher that resigned and the new teacher doesn't start till next Monday. Some cases we're just coming in and watching students while the teacher is teaching from home. But regardless, this is our new reality um, and we are doing the best that we can to keep teaching moving along and instruction moving along for our students. So it sounds like it, you're still being flexible despite all of the sort of madness that's going on, both in your district, every other district, and in the world in general. You mentioned that transition that you have about 20%, I think you said, of your students back in school. Um, last time we talked, you were just getting ready to, to start that. I think it, we talked like a week before that whole thing was going on. So Melissa, from your perspective as a teacher who it looks like is coming to us from a classroom right now, looking at the nice artwork behind you, you have the best background of all of us. So congratulations, you win Thank there. Thank you. <laughs> um, how, how are you doing? Are, are you and other teachers there kind of happy to be back overall? How's it going? We, we, we kept the excitement at an all-time high because we were just so excited to see these little faces that were circles on our screens. Uh, just as nervous every day it's a different day every day walking into this building um and it's 
it's kind of nice to see how ready everyone is for the challenge that every day brings. Um, and that's brought a huge like, collaborative feel to our building that was there, but it's just catapulted into something so much greater than it was. Um, but it, it's definitely challenging. It's definitely exhausting, but exciting all at the same time. Yeah, Vicky, you and I have talked a lot about that collaboration and how it was going on while you were remote. Um, is that something that I'm sure it is, but is that something you've sort of seen district wide? Melissa's talking about her building, but how are I mean, how are the different districts coping with supporting their specifically their English learners while 20 percent are in school and others are remote? That collaboration piece has to be huge. It's still. Yeah, it is. Um, I think. We're still struggling with helping teachers um, make content comprehensible for our ELLs in this environment. Um, it's hard for teachers to do the grouping, to um, modify and differentiate lessons when you are in this setting, right? It was difficult enough in person sometimes, but in this setting, that has tripled. Um, we have been working with our schools. Just today, we worked with a middle school whose principal was very concerned because some of his teachers were still struggling with that, with not just making the content comprehensible, but um, applying accommodations for ELLs, right? So in a regular classroom setting or in a normal setting or our old settings, you know, a teacher could give a child extra time by sitting them in a table and saying, okay, just sit there. I'm going to keep doing this. You have an extra 15 minutes to finish that assignment. Well, that's a little bit difficult in this e-learning environment. So a lot of our accommodations um, for flexible setting, additional time, um, the use of a bilingual dictionary. You know, um, many of our schools handed out bilingual dictionaries to our students in their little baggies at the beginning of the year when they handed out books, but not every student received a bilingual dictionary. So some students may be struggling with not having that resource at their fingertips. Um, so we're working with the schools now to get a little deeper, right? At the beginning, we had creating we had created all these webinars on, hey, here are all these tools that you can use in your classroom. And that was fine at the moment to um, inform teachers of, you know, here's Google Translate, here's Flipgrid, here's Immersive Reader. But now we're at the level of we need to go deeper. Teachers, some teachers have taken it and have gone above and beyond with it. Teachers like Melissa, right? So that they know how to build it into their lessons, but we still have teachers that don't. And so our next level of trainings or professional development um, or, or information that we're creating for teachers is how do you do that? You're a math teacher. How do you take your math lesson and apply some of these things to it? We are definitely, you know, we use elevation strategies across this district, but I will tell you, we're not using it across the district. Even though every teacher in this district has access to it, mm -hmm. not every teacher knows they have access to it, nor do they know how to build it in. Um, as I was sharing earlier with this principal, you know, with elevation strategies, it could take one of my favorite hanging hashtags, right? And say, okay, teacher, you have all these variety of language proficiency levels in your classroom. How do you use hanging, hanging hashtag in your, in your lesson for beginners, intermediate, and fluent students? And I'm going to group general ed students into that fluent student category. Mm -hmm. So for a teacher, she doesn't have to say, oh, well, my general ed kids aren't ELLs. They're fluent speakers, right? right? 
we know that ELL strategies are good for all students. So that's where we're going next. How do we take these strategies, activities, help teachers make connections to the content area they're teaching, yet meeting the needs of the different levels of their students in their classroom. So we're really excited to get that work rolling. Yeah, and what you're talking about is a challenge in normal times. It was a challenge a year ago, it was a challenge five years ago, but now it's exacerbated by not only having, you know, one situation where it's remote or one situation where it's in person, but with you all, you have at least two different situations and probably three with some hybrid stuff going on. So accessing those resources, step number one, a teacher knowing that they have a specific tool, whatever it may be. Step number two, understanding how to actually use it for your English learner. Step number three, understanding how, yes, this is actually good practice for all students, even though it's designed for English learners. And you just gave a great example of just group those students with the fluent students, and that works out well. So certainly lots of, of challenges here. I'm wondering how, and Melissa, maybe we'll go to you on this one, like how, when you are seeing some of your students in person, right? Sorry. That's okay. You're see, so you're, I know you're seeing some of your students in person and some of them still, oh, Melissa's, I think Melissa's got to, got to run. Maybe she's got a phone call. So Vicki, let me go, to, let me go to you on this and then we'll get Melissa's perspective. Oh, she's back. <laughs> real life, real life. Woo, so back. Melissa, I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't know how much of that you got, but my question where I was going with that was, you know, with, with all of the different models you have going on and. And, and all of the different things that teachers are doing and maybe aren't doing to best support their teachers under all of these situations, in, in many ways through no fault of their own, if they're not, they may not be experts on these things. How are your students that you're supporting both face-to-face at this point and maybe some remotely, how are they reacting to all this? How are they doing? What is their like, you know, state, current state? I've seen two um, predominant reactions and we have the frustrated don't not interested don't know what to do don't know how to do it um and then we have our uh, shutdown uh, after the frustration and it's all valid i completely understand it new platform new school system new country new language it's a lot to take in and then you have teachers that are learning as they go it is a frustrating situation to be in as a student i totally understand them and we have our other students that are a little more vocal and I think where we're at right now is getting these students to to learn how to advocate for themselves and and where just these resources are, period. How to get in contact with so-and-so if you need, I mean, just getting them used to how the school system works in general. And a huge part of this has been educating them on the consent decree and what that should look like for them in the classroom at their level. Uh, So... That that's what what I'm seeing as a as a need right now and reaction from the students point of view. They are extremely frustrated. But my goodness, I I don't know how they're doing it, but they have such a great attitude about it. And they do our teachers. I am speaking from my school system. I, I speak to literacy coaches across Broward County, and it seems to be a consensus that these kids are just so resilient, um, which in turn makes their teachers so uh, empathetic towards Mm -hmm. them and what they're going through and the experiences they've had. So it's, it's like a cause and effect, a ripple effect of things that are happening, a domino effect. Um, But it's, 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 it's frustrating to say the least. Yeah. And you know, like for me uh, coming from the high school where I taught for a long time, obviously motivation was a key part in learning. And if you could get that intrinsic motivation from students, 
you know, that was the hook. Um, challenging in a regular situation, but I imagine even more challenging now. Are you finding ways to keep students, particularly those English learners that you just mentioned, motivated in what they're doing? Where, where does that come from now? So, yeah, it's it's difficult to motivate them. There are ways. It's just we're not used to uh, exploring these avenues of how to no- motivate virtually. A huge um, step forward that I think we've taken is a lot of our English language learners, their parents weren't aware of the option to even have them come face to face. So connecting with my families and letting them know that this was, and we've sent out communication. It's just, it's a language barrier. At the end of the day, it's a lack of resources and connections. So it's just getting that word out and meeting with parents, just getting their student to connect me with the parents via Teams and have them locate the the survey and have them contact the school and say, yes, I want my child to attend school face-to-face. And then for those students that it's difficult to reach online, but do have the option to come face-to-face and continue e-learning, it changes the game for us because now now I can default into my normal um, motivation strategies for the e-learning environment, we're creating this classroom, positive classroom culture online. There's still things we can do that we default doing face-to-face, but we just have to take it to the virtual platform. We have the ideas, but sometimes the tools, we're not familiar with the tools. Teachers are at different comfort levels as far as technology goes and using these tools appropriately to meet their students' needs. So it's kind of, it's a lot to do and get done. It's possible but it's just getting everyone on the same page and same comfort level with their resources and being comfortable with the students needs that's that's where we're we're at right now in that situation now, can i jump in Steve? I please yeah go ahead add, yeah i wanted to add you know melissa made a lot of great points there you know as a department as a district we do translate our surveys and documents that go home into the top three languages in the district, Spanish, Haitian, Haitian Creole, and Portuguese. The issue is not that the documents aren't there in those languages. The issue is culturally. Remember that culturally, many of our families believe school is the responsibility or education is the responsibility of the school. I do the other stuff at home, right? I educate my child at home, not education academic, but you know, respect and things like that. So for many families, they are disconnected with the day in, day out of school for their children. We send home notices. We send home parent link. The district may send out a huge parent link, and then we as a department send it out in multiple languages just to our ELL families in addition to that, right? Um, But also, since March, we've been doing that so much that the families become desensitized to these. I hear the parent links in my house when the phone rings, and I just let it go to voicemail, right? It sounds familiar as a parent myself. I'm not proud to say that, but it's... But it's true because you just become desensitized to, oh, here's another message from the school board. So we're losing traction with those families. And like Melissa said, you know, she has to pick up the phone and call each of these families. So we rely heavily on the people that have the first contact with those families. And those are our teachers. They're the ones that even in this setting, you know, oh, I see, you know, hey, Vicky, your mom's in the background. Can she come up to the screen and have something to tell her, you know, kind of thing. So 
I think that there's just so much on the plate of our teachers, as well as there is on our students, as well as there is on our families. So I know that when we talk about what, what is a priority, we still have to have those deep conversations about social emotional learning, social emotional um, what is that for our families and our teachers? Our teachers are handling work. You know, I've read so many articles and heard so many teachers say that this year feels like I'm a brand new teacher, even though I've been a teacher for 30 years. I feel like a first year teacher all over again. Mm-hmm. Right? I've heard that a lot. Yeah. So you're 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 dealing with school. You're dealing with your own family at home. You're dealing with others' families, you know, your, your students, you know, my grandma's sake, my mom's sake, my dad's sake. So you feel for those children along with all the changes. Just when teachers are learning something, some ball gets thrown at them again and there's another curveball, whether there's a schedule change, now you got to teach a different course or we're changing the way we do everything. So there's just a lot and we have to continue um, talking about mental awareness, taking care of themselves as human beings, as teachers, but also about our students. We have to be empathetic to our students at home. Um, And I get it that there are those kids that will just turn off the camera and nothing's wrong. They just want to be that little smart child who would be doing the same in the classroom, probably in their seats. And, you know, you know who those kids are, but at the end of the day, there's just a, emotions are high. Emotions are high all the way around. Yeah, I want to highlight a couple of things that you mentioned because it kind of it, it transitions into a question that I was going to ask, and I think you've largely answered it. But I just want to kind of put a bow on it. I mean, one of the things I was going to ask is how do you go about ensuring that the things that you started, um, in this case, you you talked about two of them: one, family engagement, uh, and making sure that you're communicating with families, and you also got into the social emotional piece. You know, how do you continue to ensure that these things are prioritized? Because we were in this, like, I would call it almost a honeymoon period of like, wow, look how amazing everybody's reaching out to families and like there's great PD and finally social emotional learning is in the spotlight. But we don't want to take the foot off the gas. But at the same time, as you mentioned, Vicky, and as I'm seeing with you, Melissa, as you're nodding, it just means there's just so much more in the plate of the teacher. So now the touch point for the families becomes that teacher, which which it always has been. But now in, now that's like the way that we have to do it. Because like you mentioned, when, when a parent walks by in the Zoom, it's almost like that's a moment. Like that's a point in time where you can say, hey, come on over and, and like make those human right. connections. But it just seems difficult right now, and I'll I'll let you both respond to this, to 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 sort of formalize something like that in the midst of everything else that's going on, or even change it and say this is the way we're going to do it now because there's so much going on, right? So, right. how do you how do you keep those things, particularly social emotional uh, needs and also family engagement, going when there's so much happening right now? Well, and in a brick and mortar setting where some of our students may be, you know, or in the old way of doing things, a parent, you can catch a parent at any point, right? They, when they come to the school, you see a principal, an AP, a parent has an issue, they go to the secretary. Those first initial points of contact with people to help you are no longer here because if a family is not leaving their house, if they're not sending their kids to school, this is it right here. When I see that teacher on the screen, that's my only opportunity, my only connection to the school. 
Um, we have teachers in schools who are handling this, and on the other side of the laptop are 10, 15 kids that are there in person. So, you know, that's exhausting too, right? So you're seeing those students, you're seeing the ones on the screen, and you're trying to manage both. Um, I can tell you with parent engagement from our end at the district level, um, we are going, you know, I had shared in an earlier series that we had done a parent university, a series that had been featured on Good Morning America. Today, we have another meeting because we're going to do another round uh, before Thanksgiving break um, on other topics, which will be discussed today. So that is something that the district as a whole will continue doing. We offered our first opening of the year ESOL parent meeting using Teams Live. We had almost 400 families join us. Yeah. In person, we've never had that many. I remember, yeah. Yeah, so I look at this as a great opportunity to possibly engage more families. So we went out today and we picked up one of the cameras that teachers are using in the classroom that follows the teacher around. And we were having conversations today about, you know, let's not just do a Teams Live. You know, we're allowed to be back in our buildings. Let's invite a couple of parents to a setting where we follow CDC guidelines. Let's put on that camera. Uh, we can have storytellers. We can have guests come and speak to families. And we can be live so that we still engage the families that need to stay home. But we offer more to them. You know, um, again, just forcing us to think out of the box about how do we keep our families engaged in the middle of all of this. Sure. Melissa, what would you add there from your perspective, living this on a daily basis? It, it is extremely exhausting. I think we've used the word exhausting at least five times thus far. Um, but what's getting me through it, it's honestly my district support. I, I don't think I've reached out so much to the district ever. Uh, but having them as a support system helps me in my position as a literacy coach, as a developmental language arts teacher a whole lot. Also, my teachers in the building just relying heavily on one another for support, for help, for impromptu professional development during lunch because we need to do what we need to do for our kids. It's That's the only way we've gone through this uh, e-learning, face-to-face e-learning, at-home e-learning phase because it's difficult and connecting with our families. It, the collaboration that's happening in our buildings right now is at an all-time high. I don't think we would be able to have so many positive stories had that not taken place mm -hmm. already. And I can't think of going back to how we did things. Even when, when things go back to the traditional setting, I'm still going to use these resources, teams. It just opens up so many doors and so many avenues of communication that weren't there before. And I think that aspect of it is extremely beneficial moving forward. Yeah, and I and we're going to come back to that sort of going back to normal and some things that that we won't stop doing. I want that's one of my last questions. Um, yeah, and I, I just you know I, I really want to emphasize what you talked about with the support and the collaboration. It seems to be an ongoing theme. Um, and you know I can relate, Melissa. Like it was very rare as a teacher that I sort of reached out to my administration for help. But it seems like now because you're like yeah, I can do that. You know that's sort of the nature of the teacher. Your work for better or for worse, probably for worse. Usually you're working in your silo. You're doing your thing. You're with your students. But now you know you're really relying um, on uh, on your administration, which is great. And they're relying on you. And there's there's some collaboration there. And hopefully that's one of those things 
It's not as easy as when we're in the building that if you need something, you just go to your neighbor's classroom. Right, right. Hey, can you, hear, can you share me, you know, share this with me? Or can we plan this lesson, you know, together? It's just not that easy anymore. And I mean, I like would I would miss those moments too. You know, I remember even as a teacher, you know, we had doors, you know, between the classrooms or even outside, and there'd be students in there and in both classrooms, and would kind of pop in and say hello to everybody and say, "Hey, could you help me with this?" And it was like a great way for to to build community and not having those just those little things. Um, it, you know, I, I can imagine must be really difficult. So you got to find other ways to do it. So I want to transition to one more question that I know will probably be uh, a tough one and a challenging one, um, but then I want to switch over to some more some more positive stuff. So, you know, we've talked a lot on this series, and we've talked with you both, uh, Melissa. We talked a lot about this last time about learning loss, and we focused largely on the spring when things were crazy, and they still are now, but more crazy, and we didn't know what we were going to do. Schools were closed; there wasn't a lot of learning happening. Um, but I want to transition over to sort of what has happened with learning during this school year. Um, have you been able to look at any data on how students have progressed between the beginning of the year until now? Um, and if so, what does it tell you? What are, where do you hope to go with any sort of informal or even formal assessments that you've given students between the beginning of the year and now? So as far as formal assessments go, we meet um, through our professional learning communities half and half. We're, we're doing face-to-face -face and we're doing online uh, following all CDC guidelines, but still meeting, still going through our data, examining our data, going back to, okay, how do we remediate? What is this remediation going to look like? What is the enrichment going to look like? And having those kinds of conversations, we do have data now. Not only did we administer the FAIR test where it screens for foundational reading deficiencies, all of our access data is in, we have our in-class assessments, um, and we're just getting really, it's pushed us into this uncomfortable space of looking at our data a lot more intentionally since the, the names are circles on our screens. <laughs> and yeah. we really, that, that's, that's all we're going by. We took for granted so much of the uh, immediate feedback we get because of the nonverbal cues students give us and we give them and it's just catapulted our efforts we took that for granted now we don't have it okay what do we have and just how do we pay attention to it how do we make the most of it um with what we do have data it, it, it's it's our it's saving us right now what's what we're able to produce um that's valid and reliable because that's a huge component of this as well they're e-learning yes we're we're giving the, these assessments and we're tweaking how we deliver these assessments but we don't know what's happening on the other side of the screen so we're always questioning the reliability of that data uh even though it is present and we have access to it and we can work with it so it's definitely still a challenge but i feel like we're in a more uh, comfortable space when we're talking about data and what we're doing with it and how intentional we're being with it. Good. And yeah, that's the, I think that's the teacher sort of classroom level, school level. Vicki, what would you say about that? Like what, you know, you have, I mean, there's, we could talk about assessment just, you know, in terms of in a class and formative and, 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 and uh, assessment, but there's also the summative stuff. You have WIDA coming up, the access, right? And you have, I know you have FSA, but what are you, what's going on with all that stuff? Oh. What I have to say <laughs> is that's something that hasn't changed. Um, the state is still going to administer spring assessment, which is our Florida state assessment on our standards. 
um, we're still going to administer access for L's because Florida is the only paper-based uh, state and therefore the state is considering that we should still be assessing the students who are here in person or in, in the brick and mortar. Um, I think we've been forced to change the way we provide instruction, yet we're still going to continue engaging our students in traditional assessments to gauge how much they've learned. And mm -hmm. I don't think that that's right. Um, I feel that although teachers are working as hard as they can, and we as a district, you know, we don't proclaim, proclaim to know all the answers. I don't know how to do e-learning perfectly. Um, we are learning just like the teachers are learning. Uh, we're learning from webinars we're attending. We're learning from national consultants, researchers, who are also learning, by the way, because they didn't know how to do it either. So everybody's pulling from whatever they can to continue training others. I will tell you what hasn't changed that also needs to be looked at is not just the way we're assessing our students, but the way we're grading our students. Mm -hmm. um, we just finished our first nine weeks and started looking at some of the data and some of the grades. And as a district in grades six through 12, we had 87,000 Fs oh. given to our students or students earned, let's put it that way. Students earned 87,000 Fs this year. What does that mean? What does that look like? Where do we go next? Why did they earn these Fs? Is it because they just didn't submit any work? Is it because they didn't turn on their cameras? What are teachers grading on that resulted in this many Fs as well as 12,000 incompletes in mm. grades 6 through 12? I mean, that's an enormous number. We're a large district, mind you. I was going to say the same thing. It's a large yeah. district, but that's a shocking number. But um, we need to dig deeper. Um, I think our next level is to now get into those the weeds of those grades and try to truly understand what needs to change and why is it, right? Because I know in the past, um, student doesn't turn in their assignment, they get an F. A uh, student forgot to put their name or their date or didn't have the paper the way the teacher wanted it, they get a lower grade. You know, those times have to move. <laughs> that can't be the only thing we're grading our students on, right? So what looks different? Um, we talked about accommodations earlier, but even alternative assessments. You know, an ELL student may start acquiring the language by this point. They've been here since August. They may already have some command of English, but they might not have enough for writing or responding. Um, are the teachers giving word banks? How about a flip grid? Why don't you let your kids record a flip grid and turn that in as an assignment versus trying to write a paragraph for you, right? So look, we need to dig into our hat and bring those accommodations, those alternative assessments back and refresh our teachers on those and that it is okay. It's almost like I feel that sometimes we're waiting for somebody to tell us that it's okay. It's okay to do that. Yeah. You know? and, then, and then maybe there's that relief, like, oh, okay, I can do that. That's, right. you know. The district said I can do that. Right. <laughs> but, you, but, you know, that requires, one thing I really liked about what you said is, you know, you got to get in the weeds with that data. That data is just not a bunch of 
it's not done. Like, it's not like, all right, well, these, we had gave all these kids F's and incompletes and then we move on. Let's like, go you got to look at the reason. Yeah, but let's go back to what we talked earlier, social and emotional, right? So now I'm this child at home who's already struggling and now I'm going to get my report card in a couple of weeks and I'm going to see all the F's on there. What does that do? What does that do to that child's overall exhaustion of maybe how much they were really, really trying and just did not, was not able to comply. So, and that might not be a teacher's fault. That That's us at the district. We need to look at the policies we have in place. Right. To also change them for this e-learning environment. Yeah, because you can't, you can't change, completely change the way that you instruct and then keep assessments the same. It just doesn't work. Melissa, you're doing a lot of smiling and nodding over there. I'd love to hear your perspective. It's, we just had a uh, professional development in in-house and we went through the social emotional aspect of what this e-learning, what it should be, what our students need. And it was by far a very humbling experience to see how concerned teachers were for ELL population, but more so how they felt they weren't doing enough. And they knew that it, it was a reflection at the beginning of the professional development that they felt like they were nowhere near meeting our uh, English language learners needs. So that's where for us, I can tell you 100%, it's a mind shift that, that has to take place of, okay, this was traditional school. We're changing the way we're delivering instruction. Now let's look at the way we are assessing because we're so used to, it can still be skills-based, it can, but it doesn't have to look as formal. It doesn't have to be a multiple choice assessment only. We brought up Flipgrid. We have our math teachers that are letting our ELLs, are letting all of our students uh, turn in their work through Flipgrid. And they, they're they in Spanish, in Hebrew, mm-hmm. in whatever their native language is, turning in their work and they're showing their work and they're so excited. And we have teachers that are trying to translate for the other teacher and they're like, oh, you're using the vocabulary that you're using in class. And it's just, it has to be a shift, but it's also, you said it, we need to, we need to hear that it's okay. And that's what was, wonderful in my school site that administration we all just it's okay we're giving you the green light these are different ways you can assess your students informally formally it's okay these are different circumstances these are different times let's go this is what this is how we're going to meet the needs of our students so we talked about different resources the near part and the collaboration board and how that kind of feels the same as a teacher hanging up a student's uh, piece of work on mm-hmm. and just Attacking both social emotional needs and yet uh, acknowledging effort, because I think a lot of times, especially with our ELs, we're yes, they're they're trying, but we're not giving them credit for even putting forward any kind of effort. And I feel like as teachers, sometimes we just we think we're doing what's best for them, but we need to give credit for that effort. Well, we were talking about motivation earlier. I mean, there's no better way to kill motivation than to just say you failed and then that's it you know i mean i understand why and it must be really difficult and i'm not certainly not trying to disparage any teachers i i totally get it i mean how do you what do you do if you don't have that sort of permission uh or the district you know says it's okay which sounds like it's now happening there which is wonderful and they're sort of used to doing things the way they were and there's no work or no perceived work being done the way that we wanted it to do and so this is the way the grading system works it becomes more of a sea change you know and a larger change than just we're going to adapt to this year. It, it, this is this kind of transitions me into the next question I want to ask, which I think will be a little bit more more positive. You know, I mean, we we've we've talked about a lot of challenges, and I 
was saying before we clicked the record button that one thing that I really appreciate about both of you, Melissa, the one time that you came on and Vicky now the fourth time, I mean, the tra- the level of transparency that you show and the level of vulnerability, and I've noticed this with all the guests and in this together, it's inspiring. And it may not seem inspiring because you're talking about challenges that you have, but but nobody's hiding, right? Everybody's just talking about what the challenges are. So we've talked a lot about those, but I've also been encouraged by the real silver linings that have come up from this. And I know we're at the point in the school year where it's just even in a normal year, it's really stressful around this time. And so it's hard to think about and keep in the forefront those silver linings. I want to talk about them. We've highlighted family engagement. We've highlighted professional development. Um, we've highlighted collaboration as areas that have seen dramatic improvements You know, um, with this whole situation that we've been dealing with. So my question is, what what positive changes do you think should remain in place when this pandemic is behind us? And what do we need to do to ensure that they stay in place, that we don't sort of go back to what we now perceive as uh, normal? That's a loaded question. <laughs> it's, it's very loaded, and I apologize in advance, but I'm still going to ask it. I actually already did. <laughs> um, um, wow. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, all the ones that you mentioned, mentioned, right, the collaboration, the, um, I think the sensitivity to the needs of people as human beings, mm-hmm. um, just being sensitive to our communities, um, we're still feeding families, um, COVID is not the end all be all, some of these families before COVID were homeless, were low-income families, weren't getting food on a regular basis. We talk about kids coming to school hungry, but due to COVID and due to the situation, some of those topics have really come up, right? And so we've, we've put things in place. So we're feeding families still every week, every day. Families come and pick up meals for the entire week, you know, if they can. So Topics that were in the past, almost like, oh, that doesn't exist, were brought forward. We had to do things to help these families. And I really hope that we continue those conversations of equity for some of our families that were getting lost in the shuffle of things. Melissa, what would you add there? It's, yeah, it's, it's a loaded, it's definitely a loaded question. Um, in my position as a literacy coach, I think one of the things you mentioned it is that collaboration piece, um, whether it's a first year teacher and I feel for my new teachers this year coming, it's, it's wow, oh, the year to come in as a new teacher and my veteran teachers and everyone in between, I've never seen teacher support staff administration come together in such a positive, supportive way. And it's almost like we've, I think, and it happens in every school site, you want to, you want everyone on the same page. And I feel like this year, everyone was forced onto the same page. And we're not only on the same page, but we're on the same paragraph. And it's just helped us focus on what our goals are and what, what's really important. There's been a whole shift on what we place as priority and what we decide to acknowledge or, or just kind of disregard. And this has really put social emotional at the forefront because it has highlighted, it's, it's, it's extremely highlighted the, the struggles 
and and the stressors that our ELO population, our entire population has, but more so our ELO population because they have their own set of emo social emotional needs. And now we've added a ton of stressors to that population. So I, moving forward, just that, that, that level of empathy, that level of collaboration is something I've never experienced thus far. And I just, it, it's, it's humbling to say the least. I like it what you said about it keeps people it keeps it gets everybody all on the same page you know and this 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 thing just forced us all to be everybody to kind of be in the same place like you said no matter whether you're new or you're a veteran teacher Vicky said it a, few, a bunch of times that people who have been teaching for 30 years feels like it's their first year maybe there's some good in that that everybody's on the same page I, I interrupted you Vicky you were going to say something no, I was going to say I mean I think we've done a lot but we still have so many hurdles to overcome there's still a lot of hurdles to overcome that, you know, before we know it, the school year will be over. Um, and like you said, when these assessments start being administered, what is the data going to show us? What is the data going to tell us? And really, what are we going to do with that data? Because how valid is this data in this situation, right? Um, in Florida, our governor has said that all students are supposed to return to brick and mortar in January. I don't know what that's going to look like because we just don't have, I think, the capacity in our schools to do that. Our schools are very overcrowded as it is. So um, the next couple of weeks before holiday break, before Christmas break, are going to be very telling. Um, we have a lot of work to do to start again because our families will have the opportunity in January to either again return to brick and mortar or choose to stay in e-learning. That's the way we have set it up. So it will be interesting to see when we revisit those survey with the families what's going to happen. Families that stayed home the first time because they wanted to first feel it out may choose to come back, right? Unless it's mandatory by the governor and we still have that flexibility, will we see an increase in students returning to school in January? And what will that be like? Yeah, and it could go, certainly could go the other way, depending on how things go on the ground with the virus. People may say, you know what, we need to take a step back. It just seems like there's there's just so many, there's, just, <laughs> there's a lot of balls in the air and there's just a lot of different ways that this could go. And I feel like putting deadlines on something right now is... Uh, is difficult. We did talk about um, the access uh, assessment a little bit with um, Juan Corona from Maywood right outside of Chicago. And, you know, I, I think he's in a similar position as you all, which is like, well, what, you know, first of all, how are we going to do it logistically? And second of all, what is it really, what is it going to tell us? Um, so you're not alone there, but um, I think I think we'll leave this one here. Uh, you know, I, there's so much else we could get to, but I know we're at about time and you all are very, very busy. Um, I think, you know, one of the key takeaways for me from both of you is just that 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 level of collaboration and, and that last question that we ended on, which is like, what can we what can we take with us moving forward? I think, you know, now's the time, certainly not for people who are on the ground and doing the work like you are, but researchers and people who are studying education now might be a good time to start thinking about that <laughs> right. so um 
Well, I appreciate it as always. So Vicky, next time we chat with you, we'll be on our um, In This Together live panel, which I'm really looking forward to. That's on November 10th, Tuesday uh, from three to four. Um, and you'll be on with with four others from In This Together. Um, and I hope we can keep in touch. As I said, sort of our contract ends <laughs> for In This Together ends in October, but you both have an open invite to come on the podcast or the series whenever you want. It's been really great to chat with you. And Melissa, really appreciate you bringing the perspective in and Vicky, appreciate you bringing Melissa in for us because it's just nice to have um, both those perspectives. So again, thank you so much and, and great work. Really appreciate awesome. it. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate you. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you.